GP Insights, a health cert podcast. Practical advice for busy GPs on how to treat with confidence and grow their practice. Welcome everybody to this week's podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. And I'd love to introduce you to Dr. Helena Rosengrand. Good morning, Helena. Good morning, Paul. Excellent. Um, And most of you would be very familiar with Helena, but she's a very experienced skin and skin cancer doctor based up in Townsville. Also uh, works, as I said, in education and training with the University of James Cook, has a mountain of experience in uh, cosmetic and aesthetic medicine. And that's the topic we're going to be talking about today. So Helena, the first question I'd love to pose to you, if I can, is can you explain the process of a cosmetic consultation and how it differs from regular medical consultations? That's a really interesting question, Paul. I think there are some important similarities and some differences. So I think the really important thing is to remember our patients walk into our offices with an agenda in mind. um, And it can be really easy to get enticed to just discuss the first thing they mention. So to, to really encourage them to get everything on the table right from the start, whether it's a medical consultation or as cosmetic consultations important. So take time and what else are you wanting to talk about and what else and what else and was there anything else because usually there are three four five six things that people want to discuss and if you focus on the first one you run out of time and you run behind so I'd say that's the most important thing initially to make sure that everything is out on the table I mean for example in our cosmetic consults we're all familiar with this patient comes in says I want a pap smear but then they also want their blood pressure checked. And then they also, you know, have a rash perhaps on the arm or and want repeat scripts. And then on their way out is, by the way, I've been having chest pain recently. That's actually the thing you should have focused on the most right from the start. That's the red flag thing. Now, we don't have so many red flags, I suppose, in cosmetic medicine, but many patients really come in. They're wanting to talk about pigmentation, loss of volume, what they're going to do about strap muscles, what they're going to do about grinding teeth. And it's a lot to cover in a 15-minute consult. So we need to know what we're going to be covering, assess what's the most important, see if there is sufficient time. And if there isn't, actually discuss with the patient, well, I can probably only focus on two or three of those things today. What's the most important to you? I think this one might be the most important clinically. It's a medical consult. But I suppose in a cosmetic consult, you really let that patient decide for themselves what's more important. And I think they really appreciate that feedback and feel held by you knowing that you're going to come back to the other issues that they're really concerned about it's really important to listen carefully feedback regardless of the type of consultation what patient has said summarize it make sure that you've got it right and that really builds a lot of trust if it's a first consultation we need to know what's the past medical history what is drug history what are the allergies Super important, regardless of the type of consultation in a cosmetic consult, if you're building in time to do injectables, as many people expect, uh, then we you need to make sure that there's also sufficient time for that consultation process to answer questions, to consent fully, to take good photographs, to sit down and explain, to check their expectations. There's quite a lot to and and then just just on that so if it is an initial consult with a new cosmetic patient i mean how much time do you allow in your appointment book for it knowing that the vast majority of patients are wanting to get something done on the day 
as such? I think it's really tricky. We tend to allow 30 minutes for an initial consultation and work out from there together with the patient whether we're going to have time for any injectables during that time with them. It's, it's hit and miss. Sometimes, honestly, they don't need very long at all and you're not the right person to help. And other times they, they would actually require an hour to go through everything they had wanted to cover. Okay. And are there any sort of specific uh, skin concerns that are more common in certain age groups? And how do you address those concerns, typically from an aesthetic perspective? Yeah, well, I suppose in younger patients, we are more likely to see problems with acne scarring, active acne. A lot of younger people are wanting the plumper lips as well, more commonly than more mature uh, middle-aged ladies. There we're seeing problems with wrinkles and lines, as well as areas of hollowness, perhaps in the cheeks and the orbital area around the marionette lines on the jawline. All age groups may come in regarding pigmentation issues or scars that they've maybe had from trauma or surgery that perhaps are depressed or raised, such as hypertrophic scars. Um, so that we I commonly see amongst all age groups. Similar with bruxism, we see that in all age groups. Pigmentation up here in Townsville, we see in all age groups. Hair loss, we're more likely to see after pregnancy and in the postmenopausal, uh, more mature ladies. Uh, the difference, I suppose, is that if, if it's for a cosmetic treatment that's involving injectables, the more mature lady is after a subtle response, natural outcome. She does not want anyone to know that she sought help. So the expectations can be really different. <laughs> In young, younger people, they'd like to shout it from the rooftop sometimes, <laughs> or, the, or certainly that's my perception. That may, may not be totally fair. <laughs> no, I think, as I said, there are different groups that have different goals and obviously have different communication methods with their uh, family and friends, particularly with social media nowadays. And um, yes. and then I, I think the other thing is I'm just asking is around then uh, how you communicate with patients during the cosmetic consultation to ensure their expectations are met with the treatment plan you've come to. Because I, obviously I assume that particularly for new patients, they may come in with unrealistic expectations or particularly if they're new to um, cosmetic medicine, probably don't even really know how it works other than what friends have told them. So how do you communicate with them I suppose, align their expectations with what really is able to be done. That is so true. Um, I think it's really important that you listen carefully, ask the questions directly. What is your expectation? What do you think is achievable? Find out what they've had done previously, how they responded, how happy they were with that outcome. Sometimes alarm bells ring at this stage. If they are criticizing all your colleagues around town they're not like to be happy with you either <laughs> um, I think it really helps to take photos at different angles so that these are reproducible in subsequent uh, visits but then also sit down with those photos and ask your patient what is it you're unhappy with here what would you like to see and explain what you can actually do and whether you can meet those expectations or not and be really honest about it and it's very difficult for us as doctors sometimes to say, well, I'm sorry, I, I don't have the capability to do what you're after. 
because we want to help people. You know, that's why we are in this profession and we're wanting to, to meet people's needs. But I think it's really important sometimes to be very honest with yourself and yeah. refer elsewhere. But, and is, I mean, is it common for you to have people with real, unrealistic? I mean, I'm just trying to understand, is it 10% of people are unable to be helped and have, you know, crazy expectations? I mean, is it, what do you find? I mean, particularly for doctors that are sort of looking, you know, to as this is an area of interest to move into, is it generally you can meet their expectations and they're reasonable people to deal with or are they all a little bit of high I, expectations? I think it may depend on where you're working. So up here in Townsville, I, I find people are, are really quite reasonable. Some people I'm unable to reach the expectations and sometimes, occasionally I've even needed to reverse what we've done. And honestly, sometimes I cannot see what they're seeing. <laughs> but yeah. So the, the patients can be very hard to pick. But my impression is from talking with colleagues that maybe this phenomenon is even worse down in, in the metropolitan oh. areas, you know, that... In, in the big expensive clinics, expectations are even higher. Yeah, very good. And are there any particular challenges you have or you encounter when you're dealing with patients with specific con skin concerns? So let's say acne or rosacea. I mean, are there particular challenges as a clinician when you do have a particular uh, skin concern that you, you find? Um, yes, it can, it can be really tricky occasionally generally you know exactly how to go about treating a certain condition and you have ways of escalating that if people are not responding i think initially it's just that importance of going back to a good history what have you had done before how did you respond and really rehashing that just to see whether there are any gaps in the treatment and anywhere that you can fill in again just ascertaining expectations as well is important and referring elsewhere, really, if you've come to the bottom of your own barrel and there's nothing else that you can do. Yeah, I agree. And, and what advice would you give to a doctor who's just starting out in cosmetic medicine in terms of developing their consultation skills? I mean, is there any particular skill? I mean, you know, these are obviously trained clinicians and seen probably hundreds, if not thousands of mm -hmm. patients. But if you're starting out in cosmetic medicine, are there other skills you need to develop for the consult? Well, I think I think there's enormous skill in the consultation process, as I've already outlined. So we have a real responsibility to our patients to ascertain what is bothering them, to get everything out on the table. We need a very thorough history approach. It's a matter of going back to basics, really safety netting um, to improve listening skills, to check in with the patients that you've got it right and that you've heard them correctly and just making sure that you have a way of finding out what that patient's expectations really are and then being strong on declining treatment and referring elsewhere if this is someone that you cannot help. And I mean, and do you tend to bring patients back? I mean, obviously, you know, every treatment is different, but from the perspective of knowing whether you have met their expectations, I mean, there's obviously treatments who have instantaneous results and there's obviously others that obviously take a little bit more time so in your practice as far as knowing you don't have a disgruntled patient out there somewhere I mean is there a process that you have in place to you know see how they're going and, and whether expectations are being met because uh, that would be important that's a really good question Paul 
I actually always bring new patients back. Always there's a review um, in a fortnight. So obviously if we're using your toxins, so it can take up to a fortnight to work. So my review at that time, and maybe the fillers I review might be at a week, but I find it's really important to, to sit down with patients and see whether there's anything else that we can do. Just make sure yeah. that they haven't had any adverse effects. Obviously, once that becomes a long-term patient, then they know that they have that safety line and that contact. Actually, I text all of my patients after an initial consult. I'm in contact with them within 48 hours, and especially if I've done injectables, I'm like to send a little text along that same evening. You know, see yeah. now if you've got any concerns. And I think that's an important point for, for doctors also realise that, you know, this is a different subgroup of patients and they're typically cash paying, you know, they're, they're as I said, they're a little bit different as, as from that perspective. And it's great to hear that you do follow them up directly because ultimately, you know, as a consumer or as a patient, you know, knowing that somebody cares about your, you know, how you're going and how your outcome is, particularly as a new patient, when this is all new to you and you may have questions, um, I think is excellent. And I definitely would, uh, suggest that from the patient's perspective, they'd be very appreciative of that care and concern. So, oh, sorry, Paul. Yes, that is such a good point. Um, I find a lot of doctors are reluctant to give their phone numbers out yeah. and reluctant to contact patients directly. And But I have to say in, I suppose, 20 years as a skin cancer doctor and about 12 as a cosmetic doctor, I have never had anyone abuse that. Ever. And I yeah. sleep much better knowing the patients can contact me if there are concerns. It's much better that I know if there are problems than they going to see another colleague. Yeah, agreed. And, and the other thing is for, for doctors to be mindful is that nowadays with eSIMs, you can actually have a dual SIM card phone. I mean, I've got a dual SIM card phone. And, you know, I can have a number that's called business related and then one which is my personal, personal one. And it goes to the same device. So if you're really uncomfortable about giving out your, effectively your home phone number and as such, it's very simple nowadays to have a, a secondary number, still goes to your phone. It's treated as if it's like it's your personal line, but it can be, once again, specifically for these patients so that uh, if you are uncomfortable, but I, I do agree with you completely, Helena, that having the ability for the patient to be able to communicate directly gives them comfort, but also gives you comfort yeah knowing that if there are any problems, we can jump on them quite quickly. And I think that leads to my next question around how to approach the issue of patient safety during the cosmetic consultations. And what sort of steps do you take to ensure that you've got a good candidate for treatment? Because ultimately, selection of patients, because there are some that will have unrealistic expectations. So how do you sort of try and manage that within the consult? Well, again, history and knowing about their underlying health issues, medications, allergies, previous cosmetic treatments and how they responded to that, taking good photographs, consenting fully. That's so important, honest consent, and then really ensuring that your skill sets align to that patient's needs. Yeah, and probably, the once again, the core message is you're not going to be able to help everybody and you're better off to... And I know it's the same thing with us with, uh, you know, in, in obviously running skin cancer practices. I mean, if it's outside your scope and your area of comfort, you're better off to pass that patient on to somebody else than take on something which may end up become, um, let's say, a little bit messy because ultimately it's going to take up, it's going to cause you worry and concern and then also same for the patient. And as I said, we're not, as much as we want to help everybody, there are obviously a subgroup of patients that we won't be able to assist based on their expectations. 
And Eleanor, what would be great is could you provide an example of a particular challenging cosmetic consult you've had to deal with and, and how you manage that? So give us a little bit of a case study of something that was a little bit mm. challenging. Mm. Yes, well, I can think of a quite a challenging case, which in retrospect I shouldn't have undertaken. But I, I had a lady who'd flown in to see me about 400 kilometres away. She had exophthalmus and diplopia as a result of severe thyroid disease that was much worse on one side than the other. And she was actually awaiting surgery for decompression and, and realignment of her eye muscles on that side. But that was six months away. And meanwhile, she wanted actually to have a thread procedure to hitch up her eyebrows because as a result of, of a thyroid disease, I, she had some increasing sagging of eyelids and eyebrows. Now, what reassured me was that the previous year, she had actually had PDO threads done much further afield in a, in a practice down in Adelaide that she said she couldn't go back to because um, that was just too far away. And she had liked the outcome, but it had only lasted two to three months, which is what we'd probably expect on the eyebrow area with PDO threads there. By their very nature, they dissolve very quickly. So I don't do PDO threads. I, I do much longer lasting threads. And in the eyebrow area, it's um, it's quite a complex procedure. I, I felt a little bit beholden because she had flown in to see me. Uh, she had a friend who'd had an eyebrow procedure done with me. So she was really determined that I was going to do it. <laughs> we had... We took photos. We did a very comprehensive consent process. I told her there would continue to be asymmetry there, that the eye disease would not go away. She'd still have a bulging eye and she'd still have the double vision. And she was very insistent. That's exactly what she wanted to do. So she flew back to have the procedure done, stayed overnight at my insistence, even though she didn't want to, to return. And then it was just a nightmare scenario because she was not happy. Her expectations had not been met. She had thought that her eye disease that had probably progressed since the previous PDO threads would improve somehow. And um, she had subsequent visits to me where I slightly released her threads. I actually felt the outcome was quite good clinically, that I felt that it had given her exactly what it could and, and there was symmetry in raising the eyebrows, but her expectations simply weren't met. And despite lots of consultation, discussion over the phone, seeing her again, she did end up threatening legal action if she was not to get a full refund. So at that point, that's where you really want to think, well, what do I do? And I think a lot of doctors, I think, cave in and just give her a full refund. Um, but to me, that um, is admitting responsibility. So I... I I personally would never advise going that way, um, but obviously you want to be sure that you're covered for all procedures that you do. You've got a really good indemnity organisation to contact, let them know as soon as possible. And I think at the point where your doctor-patient relationship has been compromised, probably time to let that patient go and to refer them elsewhere. But it, it was a tricky case. I 
you know, I, I felt I had met expectation and alarm bells had rung at the time, but I'd been reassured by the fact she'd had the procedure done before. I think another time I'd just say no, even if the patient has flown in and already spent a lot of money coming to see me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that would be, uh, yeah, that's an that's a extreme case. And hopefully probably that's not something you get to see too often in your uh, clinical practice. No. But I, I think definitely if you're, once again, in, in if people have traveled great distance, I know there is greater desire to try and help them there and then purely because they have gone out of the way. But as I said, if it's not really within your scope or their expectations are realistic, you're better off uh, giving them the reality pill in that sense. And then the last question I've got for you is, how do you stay up to date with the latest developments in cosmetic medicine? Because obviously it's a relatively fast-moving field in comparison to some of the others that we get to see. Um, and then how do you incorporate this knowledge into your consultation? Because ultimately the consumer or the, the patient tends to be, you know, be uh, up to date or at least is paying attention to some of the stuff that's out there. So how do you stay up to date and how do you incorporate that knowledge into your consults? Well, I think it's a matter of wide reading, attending conferences and workshops, being vigilant to your interests and where the gaps are in your knowledge and just addressing any gaps in the skill set. I think yeah. it can also really help to identify a mentor that can be contacted if you have a more tricky case or if you think, well, I could do this, but I'm just wondering about X, Y, Z, I think that is very helpful to have a more experienced doctor that you're able to reach out to when you're in doubt. Look, thank you very much for your time, Helena, today. It's always a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, once again, wealth of knowledge. And uh, I know for a lot of doctors that are looking to expand, obviously, what they deliver, particularly doctors that are working in the, you know, the skin cancer space. Uh, I know that I learn a lot every time I talk to you, and, and I said I really do appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for sharing. And thank you for your time. Thank you for the invitation, Paul. Appreciate Excellent. it. Excellent. Thank you. And I'd love to thank everybody for listening to the podcast today. I hope you have got something out of it, and we look forward to sharing some more knowledge with you in the next edition. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe so you can get updates whenever we post more. And please share it with others. And for more info, please go to helpsert.com.